That's a disclaimer. The views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to Let's Domatic, podcast where we discuss geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense of your beers. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me tonight is... Lex Cardone. Kevin. Robert Thomas. And we're recording on February 19th, 2021. So, it's, uh, it's been a bit since our last episode, maybe six weeks, maybe longer. Uh, it kind of got away from us. Um, and you've probably seen it from some sort of clever title thing. Uh, this is going to be our last episode. Um, he says for now. Yeah, I mean, it's very like in air quotes, like this yeah. is the last episode, supposedly. <laughs> On hiatus is what we call it. Yeah, it's just like, um, we've been doing it'll be four years in June, so we've been doing it a while, and it's kind of just, you know, every two weeks, uh, episodes. So this is episode 76. So we put out a good amount of content. It's just kind of like, um, I had this, this, this discussion with, I think, everybody when we started. I was like, we're going to keep doing this until it's not fun anymore. And it's not fun anymore. It just feels like a chore uh, a lot of the time. Um, I mean, I'm excited to this episode. Please actually... continue listening to this episode. It's going to be great. He's just saying yeah, how no, tired he is of us personally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 even if there's a pandemic keeping us separated, I'm still fucking sick of you guys. Um, no, it's just like, um, yeah, I actually listened to like our last Expanse episode, getting ready for this, and I was like, I'm really excited. This is a lot of fun. I really like miss doing this, but it's just like, it's going to go away for a bit. Either it'll be permanently dead, or maybe when we all get vaccinated, we can do episodes in person. We'll bring it back. Um, I mean, if not, it's been a fun couple of years. It's been really, I've really enjoyed doing this with you guys. Yeah. I have too. Um, maybe you guys can get vaccinated and I'll just show up in a, um, in a hazmat suit because I don't trust Bill Gates. Bubble Boy. Bubble Boy Lex is going to. I'm coming in hot. Introduce you from now on. Yeah. Well, from now on is uh, a limited amount of time. (laughs) (laughs) This one time only. (laughs) Yeah. Lex has no faith. No faith in the future. Nope. No. Which is why we're talking about the future. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's. It's been good. I mean, it's been it's weird now. Like we're, I think, a closer friend group now because of doing this. Like by a lot. I mean, Rob and Kevin and myself are close, and like Lex, we we never really hung out that much before this, and now it's like we now we're good, better friends. They're okay friends. I want to go like best friends. That's, that's a lot. Now you're just now you're just sick of me. So it's like let's let's cancel the podcast to sort of you know rip the bandaid off. Well, you two are <laughs> clearly have, have not been canceled, Ryan. You two are clearly not close enough for Ryan to have picked up on the uh, very explicit way you just tried to tee him up on the topic for this episode. Yeah, that was uh, not even a swing and a miss. There wasn't even a swing there. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not above it. Leave something um, desired. <laughs> no, but uh, yes, there is actual topic tonight. We're not going to talk about the podcast and all, all sadness and it's over. Um, uh, we're talking about The Expanse, uh, season five. Uh, it was awesome. And, you know, we've done a bunch of these kind of episodes on this series. 
but before that, as always, what is everybody drinking? Who wants to go first? I can start off. I am drinking a Breckenridge bourbon. Um, apparently, it's the highest distillery in America out of Colorado. So it's pretty good. Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I am working my way through uh, a San Cosma 2019 Cote uh, French red blend that I am quite a big fan of. I just tried it for the first time this evening. Kevin? Mm, I'm not drinking anything right now. I do have some... Golden Monkey. I can't remember what it is. It's like a sour it beer. Kind of, it's in your fridge, Kevin. I might get into that in a little bit. <laughs> this is the last Just do it. Just do it. Rip like, the bandage like, off. You son of a bitch. This is the last well, episode. You have down a, you at Seven Eleven. They have a bunch of Devil's Backbone. So <laughs> la 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 la. You haven't been on in like a year. We get you back for this episode, and you don't get. Oh, you, yeah. There he goes. You better go get it. You son of a bitch. He's. It, <laughs> That's all it took. Just <laughs> much, but that's all it took. The harassment had to be on the record. Yeah. Yeah. There he is. So what do you got there, Kev? You're, you're muted. When he unmutes himself. It is the a classic sour monkey sour triple. How is it? The bottle cap's still on. Yeah, I haven't opened it yet. It's good. I had one the other day. Preemptive review. <laughs> I, 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 I do like it. It's a, it's a little heavier. It's like 9.5%, um, but you don't notice it's sour. <laughs> also, now there's pickle juice all over my floor. How did that happen? Yeah. It fell over. The pickle fell over? Yeah. The pickles, plural. Anyway, moving on. Okay. And then, I uh, an episode about the pickles falling on your kitchen floor, Kevin. I don't care about the expanse anymore. What are the international implications of this uh, catastrophe that you have just experienced? One might even call this a pickle. Fuck Boo! <laughs> you figure out your ass. I, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm getting rid of my uh, the dregs of my jokes since it's not, not going to yeah. be needed anymore. That doesn't yeah. bode well for the rest of this episode because I feel like your supply of dregs is probably still quite large. Or just oh, I, I've, I've definitely like, got some archives there. Don't don't you worry, Rob, Roberto. Christ. Um, and I'm drinking a Juicy Magic IPA from Devil's Backbone. I actually got this from Kevin like a month ago. How is it? It's pretty good. I like it. I like the 8-point IPA more, but this is still really good. Yeah, cool. that's a good one. It's like a good... It's like a good... I don't like. I don't know how to describe juicy in like an IPA, but it it somehow fits, right? Yeah. How, how does juicy yeah. work with a beer? Like, it's like it's not. It's I get citrusy, but how how does juicy work? I don't know. It's a question we've never really been able to answer on this podcast. We've never got good at talking about beer ever. Well, there was a there was a plan to do that, and then it just never happened. That's because so, uh, it's mostly been IPAs, and then the one that shall not be named that I complain about. <laughs> every two weeks or so as a matter of uh, testicle beer? routine. Yeah, the, the smoke, the sheep dung smoked whale testicles. Yes. Yeah. 
Listen, I'm sorry you guys don't like culture or nice things. I brought you back that back. <laughs> That's home. bad culture. You guys bitch just as much about my farmhouse ale as the sheep dung testicle beer. So well, the old testicle beer wasn't maybe that in bad. the moment, but not in the long haul. Fair. <laughs> fair, fair. Which I take full credit. Fair. To be fair. To be fair. But anywho. Drinks are time for expanse. Um, so this was a really rough season. Like a lot of really fucked up shit happened. Like poor Naomi from like episode two on, we just had a fucking terrible time. And in case it wasn't already obvious, if you're spoilers. worried about spoilers, <laughs> yeah, don't ever listen to this podcast for anything. Fair warning. But yeah, um, the really kind of jumping off the kind of uh, starting point. The asteroids hitting Earth was like that was that was a lot of the. It's like oh, it's like oh, it hits like oh, millions are dead now. Well, fuck, that's well, not great. So I think it's interesting because like there's also the power dynamic. Like before that, you've got the power dynamics of of us or Allah like out of power, being like oh, this guy's a threat, and so we should step back just a moment on the off chance that anyone who hasn't actually watched this show cares and note that one of the key things at the beginning of the season is that terrorists from uh, one of the key factions out in the asteroid belt throw stealth coated asteroids at the earth and a mass casualty terrorist attack it, it was not accidental asteroids well it's like, no, that's why, it's, it's why like, it really it really it made me think of 9-11 when watching it because like the first one hit they're like well was this an accident they just missed like you know just you know there was like when the, all the sensors just missed this asteroid that came in or then there's a second one it's like oh well fuck no it's not well yeah, i you know i almost i almost think that is like a like an intention like i i highly suspect that's intentional even if it wasn't when they wrote it i mean there's probably some inspiration but like the way that both Marco Naros, who's the big be- the space Che Guevara slash Bin Laden, who throws the rocks into uh, Earth, and also kind of how some people have pieces of the puzzle, but no one except maybe uh, Christian of Avasarala is like thinks that something's going to happen, but either doesn't have the information or has the information and puts it together too late to have it really. Yeah, I hadn't really, I hadn't really thought of that. That's the, the especially the intervening between rocks one and two. Um, you get the, you know, is this accidental? Is this all that? And I guess Abasarala is the figure of the, or she's the um, kind of a compilation of the various figures in the U.S. government who were saying, "Hey, we need to look at Bin Laden because this is." And then the bureaucratic mix-ups and um, stuff that gets in the way of actionable intelligence. So, well, and I think there's also some inspiration, you know, with the new administration coming in. I mean, not in not U.S. Yeah. administration, but there is. It's that you know, there's a new administration in uh, the UN, and they want to do new, start have a fresh start and not listen to you know the old cranky dictator. I mean, semi-dictator, um, and. She ends up actually being right, you know, and and her character arc is interesting in this, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. Yeah, when Nancy Gal died, I was like, oh no, so sad, oh no. Yeah. But anyway, 
But then so, after that, what happens? <laughs> it's like, okay, they finally, you know, stop. The, they, they figure it out. They get the right people know the things. They're able to put the right sensors out, and they're able to actually stop stealth asteroids from hitting the Earth anymore. So, But three hit um, and caused multi, you know, significant casualties. But, you know, really, before we really jump into, like, you know, I guess the response and you know, what happened after immediately was talk about the OPA extremism. I mean, because the OPA, I, I, I think we've, we've talked about this before, it's very much like the, P, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. There's like just different factions all in what is under this umbrella, but they all, it's not a, it's not a set, it's not a hard set government. And the Naros faction decided they're, you know, going to throw these rocks at the earth and, and, and cause these issues, you know, and he gave, basically just, he tries to justify it to everyone saying, hey, hey, this is like these generations of oppression that we basically have to do. We have to have a significant attack to kind of throw off the shackles of Earth and Mars, I guess. Yeah. And you I look, mean, I mean, it's coming from that point of view, it's or the point of view of any reasonable person just causing a genocide on a planet is pretty insane. But you look at what the, I, I guess the Belter experiences in the show and sort of being limited in oxygen and having to scrap, you know, for everything like that. So there's a, a wellspring of anger that this has been building up for a while. So you can see why someone in that situation maybe kind of went crazy and did something unforgivable. Well, I think we should, we should distinguish, though, between... An audience that Marco Inaros was able to get on board with the idea for that attack because of their their frustration and their grievances. And if you if you make a point of dehumanizing the victims of the attack and linking it to those grievances, then you can manipulate social psychology enough to get an unfortunately large number of people to uh, get on board with truly horrific actions. But it's also pretty clear that Marco Inaros, the leader who did this, is not some sort of victim of circumstance himself who just was driven to this uh, as, as sort of a natural reaction. I mean, he is a narcissistic monster who is doing it as much for his own glorification as the visionary and revolutionary leader who did something that no one could ever do before uh, as much as as for any sort of astropolitical rationale well and i think i mean i think part of what like even though we as the audience obviously see him as a sack of shit and like a terrorist we like you can also kind of like the way he's played by the actor who plays him does, and and like you can see the way that he manipulates Philip, uh, his son Naomi's, him his and Naomi's son, and and kind of like he is a sociopath, but he's like I think one of the like striking moments for me was when he's like, you know Naomi is dead, like you know blah blah blah, and uh, like she's on the on the ship that we sent off to kill uh, Holden. And like it's like oh like he's having a human moment oh no like that was that was like perfect because it was like oh he's having a human moment 
oh no, he's actually just a sociopath manipulating his son's emotions by playing them off like, you know, the way he's portraying things. And so it actually, like, he has played very well as like a sociopath, but like from the outside appears like a sociopath. But if he has appeal to, like, if, if uh, he has any appeal to someone, like, they get kind of gravitate towards him. So I, yeah. I think that it... And, and I, I think you guys are both right on this because, like, the way that these people become relevant, the sociopaths of whether we're talking about this world or the past or a hypothetical future, they only become relevant when there's fertile ground um, for a mass you know, support base because these sociopaths are everywhere. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot of time and a lot of grievances to sort of build up to this point where, you know, people can. He, he, uh, honestly, the, my favorite part of the season was um, uh, Drummer and her family, and kind of examining that and this sort of conflicts that uh, you, you have this polyamorous spaceship that um, are basically saying, "Well, he's done more for us than anybody." But he's also nobody. Nobody actually likes him because they know what he is. It's it's pretty clear that this guy is a demagogue. Um, but enough people say, well, you know, he's better than the alternative to sort of cause a lot of chaos. Yeah, I mean, there, I think one one quote like from from one of her crew was just like, he's gonna you know he's gonna um, bring together like a hundred different factions of the OPA first time ever to make a real nation it'll be out of blood but it's like it's awful but you know they may comment something along the lines of like well you know plenty of bad things that happened to us and never see earth a cry for what what's been done to the the belt yeah well and and i think the other thing is he is able to quick like not only does he eliminate he damages the leadership of earth and causes a crisis there kills a lot of the leadership on Mars and causes, I mean, we don't really see it, but we assume there's some level of political crisis there and kills sort of the de facto slash maybe actual leader of the OPA, Fred Johnson. Um, and so it's a very effective plan to, you know, cut off the heads of all of these different leaders um, and kind of leave them or leave all of these political factions kind of not sure what to do next. Um, and also the fact that he's being given a lot of, you know, advanced weapon systems from a demilitarizing and uh, deteriorating Mars. Yeah, there's it's a it's a kind of it's a, sorry, Rob. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, it's I think important to note how true to life the pattern is there. I mean, there are so many historical examples of narcissistic and morally barbarous demagogues who are able to, whether in, in modern or pre-modern times, pull together large groups of people to get behind truly horrific things by some mix of kind of close, intimate, personal manipulation of people in their immediate orbit and fanning the grievances of a larger number of people and getting another large group of people to kind of go along as fellow travelers who sort of see through it, but are still willing to compromise with evil. Uh, this is this is so real and so familiar a phenomenon in human history. Yeah, it's like um, 
I think it was like, a, like a, almost like a like one line said by Bobby Draper uh, talking to um, Alex Kamal. You know, it was just like you know Mars is having major force reductions, and you know all his weapons are kind of becoming on the market. So you get rid of all his you know high tech weapon weaponry and all that kind of thing, and then it's like. And then we start to see, oh, Mars is giving like Mars is giving ships to the belt. Yeah, that's the biggest story that doesn't. It's not as obvious when you first watch the show because, like, I mean, this this entire society is based around transforming transforming a planet, and then in a blink, you have hundreds, thousands of habitable ones. So, what happens to that when there's so much opportunity elsewhere? You get a lot of people leaving and a lot of tax base just right out the door. And then, you know, what happened? I guess they there was some they were bragging about having one percent unemployment or something on Mars because of this thing. So and and then it goes into everybody's leaving and and you get into the Sovater situation, selling um, weapons and advanced weapons to really bad actors. Making the free Navy. (laughs) Literally making them and giving them the stealth tech and all that. They wouldn't have been anything without a bunch of disaffected Martians. Well, it's also a sort of cultural and social collapse as much as an economic one. Because simultaneously, their sort of national myth for the Martian Congressional Republic of being sort of structured around this this first and only plausible effort to create a new terrestrial home for human beings is being punctured. Their conflict uh, in their Cold War with Earth has more or less disappeared as a geopolitical opportunity to kind of think of themselves vis-a-vis uh, a, a clear and well-defined enemy for generational terms. So, I mean, it's sort of like if in the U.S. you had had the Cold War end, Watergate and the Nixon impeachment and the Great Depression all happen at the same time. Oh, and don't forget 9-11. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that, that happens, you, that happens a little bit later um, uh, when, when, when Inaros starts causing chaos. So that's, you know, just icing on the cake. Yeah, it's like it's like Puritan Martians. Like it, it really, you really kind of like it. All kinds of comes together. Like the last real scene of the of the the, the season in episode ten, when they're going through the ring gate and they're talking, and he's like, "Okay, you know, Babbage has like this little like." We should specify that they, oh yeah, Solitaire and Babbage, you know, are talking on on the bridge of the I forget the ship's name. Um, going through the they're ring, the, they're they're two of the rogue. Uh, Martian officers uh, leading this faction that just yeah. massacred a joint, well, worked with some of Inaros's faction to massacre a joint Martian and Earth uh, fleet guarding the ring gate. Yeah, and like they're going through and they're having this conversation where it's like, okay, we gotta, it's like no more rules. Like there's like, there's like, oh no, there's not no more rules. Like there's like, there's it's only the rules. Of that. Like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, there's, there's only rules and like, it's like, I think it was a line something along the lines of, uh, you know, court martial will never be will be dismissal. It'll be it'll be you know a bullet instead. Yeah, we don't have a civilian government to fall back on, so they're fully leaning into this whole military first, 
governance structure and they um the, the name of the place that they're going to is yeah. Laconia, <laughs> which is the ancient uh greek for the area that sparta was in so they like many others throughout history they, they're modeling themselves on the next generation of spartans the military dictatorship um quasi fascist like i mean there's a lot of debate on what they were based on what political philosophy is today but they really um they're basically trying to be more martian than mars i mean it's a it's a faction that's responding to the sort of multi-pronged crisis on mars by coming up with a, a particularly extremist and distilled idea of the martian social and cultural identity and then saying okay well the the rings that allow in, interplanetary uh, or interstellar travel may have collapsed the mars that we came from we're going to take our crazy idea of the idea of mars and do it somewhere else in all its pristine purified glory violently oh, purging been. anyone who who rejects it yeah, and I that I wish I mean, I, I I hate to say Amazon should have spent more money, but like <laughs> considering how well they did with this, they've gotten plenty of money, money out of us during COVID. Oh, they have, and but they that for me was it, it was kind of like oh this rogue Martian faction was very much in the background. You had Holden, Naomi, Anaros in the head of the story, and in the background there was this shadowy group i mean it, it goes back a couple seasons to when draper was investigating that crime ring on mars that popped up seemingly you mean when she was she, you mean she was a part of it she oh she was undercover yeah well she i was undercover she was she was selling shit she was i i i mean i think i think the interesting thing is that like i actually liked that that kind of took a backseat because there was so much I guess, character development, and it was, like, a very, like, you know, Naomi's arc, right, is, like, just Naomi suffering and, like, going into space, and, like, you spend, like, the entire time just, like, almost panicking about what's gonna happen to her. It's, like, she's gonna die. Like, it's gonna happen. Minor spoiler, she doesn't. I I, I was was really, like, they're on the Game of Thrones, this shit, and kill her. Yeah, they did her wrong. And I thought thought she wasn't gonna make it. I was, like, oh, my God. Like every every episode is like this is an episode of Naomi dies. But but I, I you know, Do at the same time Barb deserve better. Naomi deserve I, better. Yeah. She, yeah. Sure. But I, I also think that that like the fact that this this organization kind of falls off the radar and you're like, okay, like they're doing something. And then at the end it's like, oh shit, they've actually been like this wasn't just a, you know, we're making money off it. It's like a we have an end state. We get the pro we use this to get the proto molecule sample to essentially kickstart their, you know, uh, experimentation with, you know, the ring builders, um, shipyard and on the off, like in orbit around Laconia. Well, I mean, I I think my quibble is that they, they tried to shoehorn too much explanation of. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. All of the things that Salvatore's faction was trying to do into either explicit or implicit stuff in the last like five minutes basically yeah, it, was, but, it was literally Kevin, like you, you, you could have done a little bit more of a basic cliffhanger and then yeah unfolded Kevin, more of that in the next season right. without just trying to shoehorn so much of it in so fast yeah 
But Kevin, I think you're right. Like leaving the breadcrumbs, like we know from last season that a little bit of protomolecule gets into anything and then it causes. So leaving those like, oh, the theft of the what, what are they doing with it? Oh, the extra torpedo that shifted out to this way, you know. Um, so, yeah. And then you get I, I don't know how they could have done it any better without another 10 episodes um, to flush it, it out. So it, I. You're you're spot on. It did seem like this season was very... I don't know if drawn out was the right way. Like, there was intense action punctuated by, like, like a lot of emotional, sort of more character development. I mean, I don't even know if character development, because we, like, we know the characters pretty well. Although, I mean... Holden eating ramen. <laughs> Holden pushing buttons. <laughs> that, that, okay, we, we talked about this in, the, in like, the... the I guess the pre-show, but like the best, the best set of lines in the entire season is when Holden, you know, he's like, you know, he, and, um, Fred Johnson's like, what did you do? Is like, I pressed, I saw a button, so I pressed it, you know, and talking about um, the journalist, her, uh, her phone starts or tablet thing, whatever the hell you want to call it, um, starts going off. He's, just, he's like, is that how you go through life? Ryan, I think that could be yes. one of those old corny motivational posters, just a picture of Holden. Like, when life gives you a button, press it. I now want to make that have it up in my fucking living room. I really yeah. do. I just, like... <laughs> make it happen. I, I mean, I have a... Yeah, I, it'll go, go to my signed poster of all of them that I have. Um, not that he's a fanboy or anything. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, but no, but no, no, this season did have a lot of really great space battles. So I'm not going to lie. I saw a breakdown of the space battle in the final episode between the two Belter ship, Martian ships being piloted by Belters and the uh, and uh, drummer's crew and the Rosinate. And I was like, I don't remember that happening at all because it's like so quick. And it's oh, like, yeah. like. And literally the way they, so the way they animated it, not only do the PD, like the point defense cannons on the Rosinate have this, it's, this is like the, the actual real world thinking of physics and stuff that went into this is amazing. The PDCs have little counter thrusters to keep the gun shooting straight while the ship is moving. And also like, there's like multiple shots where they like shoot the rail gun and they hit like a, they glance off the ship and then they hit the ship and, and like, the way the ship is rolling because like one of the PDCs was damaged in their previous battle. Yeah. Um, how it's rolling to maximize the amount of fire it can put against the torpedoes fired at. It's like, this shit's, cr- it, 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 they, it's so they went above and fucking beyond, like in terms of like making realistic space battles that looked incredibly cool. I would love to see any, like anybody in the Navy who operates a close-in weapons system to just watch that and like get their commentary on like how accurate it is. Yeah. Just in case it wasn't clear over the last 75 episodes, uh, Kevin is the biggest nerd out of this entire nerdy <laughs> group. Oh, you have no idea. And that's, that's a high bar. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a high nerd bar. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Hill King nerd. Anyway, talking about something else. So, the palace attack. So, for the people who haven't really watched it or just listened to the episode for whatever reason, Palace Station is uh, a Belter, you know, station that does different, 
you know, has jobs and different stuff. You know, it's just where people live. It's about 13,000 people or so. And in response to the attack on Earth, the UN government decided, one of the, uh, I forget the guy's name, he's the, the, the acting secretary David general. Because he's like, yeah, he was, he was like the, he was like the minister of like transportation or something like that. He just didn't die. It was basically what his, his claim to fame is. He was the designated uh, survivor. Yeah, I mean, kind of. Um, and yeah, he, he, they, they did this attack. So, you know, they kills, you know, they blow up, the UN blows up the station and kills, you know, 10,000 people. And like, so a lot of them, sure, were probably Anaro supporters, but like, not all of them. And also, it's like, it's also a completely civilian target. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. so. Oh, go ahead, Lex. No. No, I was, I was going to say, so, I mean, I like, if you look at it from the UN perspective, particularly like your new, you know, like all like million, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, you know, UN citizens are now dead. And even if there's not like a, a political pressure immediately, there's still an immense pressure on, you know, David Tester, the former transport minister, tra- transportation minister of the UN, who like all of a sudden is thrust in the role he never expected to find himself to launch, you know, counter strikes. And obviously, like, there is also that aspect of, like, I don't know if racism is the right word, but, like, like oh, well, they're, you know, like, they when they're sitting in the meeting, it's like, well, they're, they're belters, they probably support him. And, and I mean, Avasarala, you know, in kind of a, her latest, you know, epoch of her character arc has now, like, decided that instead of, like, in season one, she would have absolutely just wrecked that station and been like, fuck them. But now she's she's kind of grown as a character in that like I don't I don't, I don't yeah know. okay I, I, I agree no because no, stationed no. there she it I mean the admiral what whatever her, her what, what was Delgado. the admiral's name Delgado yeah. yeah he was saying like okay it may be mainly a civilian target but this is where the Pella docks very frequently this is like a as close to a home base as possible. Like send a message. And right. Officer was like, yeah, no, it, we don't it, want to just nuke a station. Um, well, could, yeah. But I, yeah, think, well, I think... Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, it's just like, it's it's the situation of she's making the better decision. She's like, I'd like to... Sure, I'd like to kill them all, but I can't because it doesn't make any sense. She's, she, she's picking the, the best option for reducing conflict, I guess. Well, well... It, even the Delgado makes the comment of like, well, you know, it's it's not a it's not a military base. Like, like well, the Belters don't have military bases. So, so I he's right, but I think so. Her perspective is like she is familiar with enough with at this point. You know, has met a lot of Belters, like has interacted a lot more with people like Fred Johnson, um, and sort of gets the in the longer term striking a target that even if it is, you know, a population that is supportive of Marco Naros, both, you know, in a logistics capability and also in like a, a moral or a, you know, political cap- or a capacity, um, striking that also sends a message to people who are maybe like fence sitters in the belt um, or factions that have, you know, are maybe kind of like drummer's faction, essentially, actually exactly drummer's faction, you know, people who are lukewarm on Naros but don't see a better option. She sees, I think her, she's actually looking at it from a very realist perspective where if I can avoid antag or like forcing all of the belt to see that the UN is threatening all belters and start picking off belter factions and bringing them into more of an 
alliance with the UN and the Martians, MCRN, um, in a way that they can actually, you know, reduce Marco's ability to influence the belt and ultimately, like, ba like balance against him within the belters as opposed to uniting the belt against the UN. Well, let's, I mean, let's step back and, and actually honestly assess what that response was. It was an indiscriminate massacre of civilians. It was responding to a terrorist attack with a terrorist attack. And fundamentally, it was a short-sighted, morally compromised, and strategically foolish, emotional knee-jerk reaction. And one thing that you cannot do as a leader in any context, one thing you can never do as a responsible leader is to react based on your heated emotions of the moment at the expense of ethics and strategy, which more often than not, ethics and strategy tends to be more well aligned than people think they are. It's knee-jerk emotion that tends to lead us astray. And I mean, fundamentally, expertise or not, that was an instance and, and evidence of the extraordinary degree to which the acting secretary general was not qualified for that position. And for, for reasons of, of ethics and strategy alike, Avasarala was right to say this is not acceptable and I'm not going to be a part of it and I'm going to resign in protest and the other cabinet ministers who followed her in doing that were also right yeah and then later like uh, a couple other ministers apparently dropped too they're like nah fuck this this, is, this was a little aggressive yeah and not then a little aggressive it was, it was <laughs> fundamentally evil and foolish at the same time well it, it, and it was it was a calculated it was calculated based off of what can we do to send a message and and like like it was calculated it was a political calculation from an ex inexperienced operator and obviously like the military that like the UN is portrayed as like kind of a or as a professional military and a lot of things a lot of times you'll see with any professional military is it's not like it's less a what will be the implications of what we do in a political way let us use our toys let us yeah but, do what but we, yeah. it's like what let us do what we're do? trained to do yeah, even what, if that's yeah. not the right move and that's exactly what you know he said it's like this is what we do um and it's like yeah we can do that but what are the second and third tier political implications and and you know any most many militaries don't really think through that because that's not their job that's the politician's job well that does that does though i think raise an important question about generalship I mean, when, when you are at that level of military command, you're, it, it's just not in touch with reality to say that your job is non-political or apolitical. You are, by definition, the, the interface between the military and the policy and politics spheres. So you, you, can't, be, you can't be a good general or admiral without being cognizant of questions of politics and policy. 
you need to be conscious of what your role is as a military professional and not as a, a politician, but you can't, you, I mean, you can't do that job operating in a, a vacuum sealed off from that whole set of questions. Jumping ahead, um, as much as I, I've enjoyed Avicerala's um, kind of growth from the f- first episode, she was torturing this uh, this Belter in, in one in one G. Enhanced uh, interrogation. Yeah, yeah, and then put him in a water. It was just the whole like dichotomy of waterboarding, but oh, water actually helped is like his relief there. That was crazy to me, but. Now, now that she's in this position is, you know, pretty wild because, uh, sorry, I lost track of where I was going. Click, clack. Um. Yeah, but I think it's, it's part of her growth as a character in that we, we do see at the beginning she's, it's, it's less that she's changed in terms of, like, who she is. Like, she's still relatively Machiavellian, um, but it's, it's that her perspective has broadened in that, like in the beginning in the first, first couple seasons, maybe at least the first season, probably even more into the second, maybe third. Um, she is, you know, earth first, you know, I, my job is to protect earth by the time we get to, you know, season five, she is a, like to protect earth, you know, we have to protect humanity. And it's, she's kind of evolved into from a, you know, Earth first or UN first to a humanity first. Yeah. <laughs> what I was going to say was her, as much as I've liked her evolution, that whole cocktail party at the end of the last episode. Yeah. Uh, where she was like, this is what Marco Inaros hates. Earthers, Martians, Belters, all together. And it's like you have the token Martian, Bobby. You have the token Belter, Naomi, who's barely alive, yeah. jumping out of an airlock twice. Or what? <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's like okay, let's let's see where you, where how far you get with drummer. But it, it was just a very. She's been on the upswing in my mind for a while, and then she gives the typical politician speech over champagne, when you know of the fortunate Earthers who've made it up to the moon. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll see where that goes next season. And I, th- I mean, I think that scene is very interesting because it's it's a case of sort of very high minded sentiment that on the face of it, I think there's a lot, a lot to the message. But as you pointed out, oh, yeah. there's there's only a sort of minimal token presence of two out of the three major populations of humanity actually present there. So the, there's a difference between sort of having the high-minded rhetoric and getting to a point where you're actually truly embodying it in in robust concrete terms yeah yeah uh, and, and by that, the way that, both is, of them, that is a bridge that still remains to be crossed by the the end of the season both of the people in that bar are disgraced by their yeah official yeah, representatives whatever you want to call it so. it's like yeah she says that but and, and i i think you're you, you've got it exactly right it's like you know naomi not she's a belter yes she's not really in touch with the whole you know belter vibe because she's you know girlfriend to james holden who's an earther and she hangs out with other earthers and she was hanging out with the martian you know, r.i.p um and then you have uh 
you know, Bobby, who is a dishonorably discharged, you know, Martian Marine. And we know that she, she gives a, a lot of shits about Mars, but like the Martians don't know that or care. And, and it's like, it, it, it did ring pretty hollow. Like when I saw that, I was like, Oh, that's, you know, uh, art. like, unless there are like more Martian representatives there or like Belter representatives there, it's like, there's a lot of work left to do. I mean, I, I get like, it's a good sentiment and it kind of shows of Vassarala like being like, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to build a coalition to crush Marco and, you know, his backers. But, but it, 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 it shows like, there's still a lot of, a lot of places they have to go and a lot of people they have to you know get on their side and it can't be this token like you know we're picking up the the refuse of of the belts and the martians it's like we need to grab you know political players like people like drummer you know drummer's a a, an actual political force or she could be a (laughs) also also a pirate though i mean when has that ever stopped someone from being a political force in the belt yeah Fair. Look at me. Look at me. I'm Fred Johnson now. <laughs> I mean, hopefully that'd be great. She runs Tycho. Um, but anyway, we're coming down to the end, sadly. Uh, for the last episode ever. Uh, maybe. Uh, any final Who thoughts? I mean, okay, I, fine. I, Go ahead. I, I mean, I think it's sort of fitting that uh, we uh, enter the hiatus whatever form it takes with this particular topic, because I think looking at questions of geopolitics uh, and, and national and international security through fiction, over beers and through <laughs> fiction uh, is, is not just a sort of frivolous exercise uh, for fun, it may be fun, but it's also got real-world relevance. In that, fiction is a chance to actually step back and explore some of the real challenges and real pressures and real dynamics that take place in the real world in a fresh, creative setting. That allows you to expand how you're thinking about them. Uh, and I think that's that's really worthwhile. Uh, and that's why I urge anyone who's interested in any of these topics, in international affairs, in security issues, um, or any number of, of things connected to them, to spend time with with good fiction that lets you probe those questions as much as with your your nonfiction, historical and, and theoretical texts it it's another thing that that really can enhance your thinking about these problems yeah the expanse has the best space geopolitics by far yeah i gotta say i gotta give credit to uh, i think it's essay uh, Corey, which is ty frank and daniel abraham who are the writers yeah. plus the the actors you know really the actors and the producers and the directors of this show like all of those together have really brought this you know brought this to life and and I don't know, it's, it's a fun show, and I'm looking forward to the last season. Yeah, and there's clearly a genuine care in their craft. You know, there's, it's, I, obviously you're not trying to analyze everything down to the millimeter and mm. make sure everything's totally scientifically accurate, but there's a care for 
science. There's a care for geopolitics, and that's kind of what we try. We've been trying to get across for um, the past however many eons. Um, it's, <laughs> low these yeah, many years. Low these, yeah. Even the before times. Yeah. No, it's it's um it, it's something that is worth paying attention to, even when you don't want to. And oftentimes you don't want to, um, whether it's in the universe of the expanse or in our own kind of Machiavellian, Machiavellian fucked up world. Um, or, so. or, or in the grim dark of the far yeah. future. Keep listening, keep watching, uh, keep speaking. So none of what I'm going to have to say is to be that intelligent, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that that's why you Daddy bring Bo is the best talent. ever. Yeah, yeah, Daddy Bo. Uh, no, it's um, you know what I really really missed out on this this season, which I was kind of I was hoping we might see, is um, missing out on the colonies. I you know all this stuff they talk about the colony, you know, new colonies and stuff like that for Earth and Mars and the Belt, you know, because because they're, they're they're getting minerals, but it's like. What about will it be a new spice trade? What is cinnamon gonna have to do with any of this? You know, who really knows? Who really knows? I'm sorry, I'm, but, I'm worse right now. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> yeah, it happens. But um, it's been we, fun, we guys. We missed out on some of the uh, some of the astroeconomics, the the yeah. trade routes like the old Silk Road. Yeah, but uh, it's been fun, guys. If this is it, uh. That was almost automatic. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again. Bye.